There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. My guest for uh, this episode here is Mr. Matt Davis. He is the principal of GDI Insurance Agency out of California. Matt, thanks for joining us, man. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, you are a speaker at Innovation 22 in Nashville. You are part of our blitzkrieg of getting as many of these interviews done as humanly possible. I swear at this point, I'm not even an insurance agent. I'm basically semi-full-time podcast host. Uh, I've never been one of those before. It's uh, it's, <laughs> it's a different feel for sure. Uh, but I appreciate you jumping on here on short notice uh, what we're doing with these shorter episodes is spotlighting the speakers for Innovation 22, but obviously these things live in perpetuity. So there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this after innovation has long since occurred because uh, I mean, we're, we're not pulling down these episodes for, you know, we don't have no plans indefinitely. So it could be years from now that someone is listening uh, to this episode. So we're not just going to focus specifically on a teaser or some sort of promotional thing for innovation. Uh, as much as you feel comfortable with, I'd love to to get into some of what you're going to be talking about. Uh, but first, I'd love to hear your story uh, as the principal. You are a second generation owner of a very successful agency. Uh, your dad is a legend in the industry. So uh, I imagine you have a lot of stories to tell of growing up in and around uh, the insurance world. So uh, why don't you give us your backstory, uh, who you are, and, and what you're up to? Yeah, so I'm Matt Davis, like you already said. Uh, you know, I would say we're second generation, but really it's more like generation 1.5. Uh, it's a little known fact. My father basically started completely over from scratch right mid-99. Um, so he doesn't really brag about it, never did. But, I mean, he started, he went from having a pretty good agency to being down to him and two employees and like 30,000 commission revenue had to start over. Um, and uh, so there are a lot of the growing pains that you get as a first generation agency owner. I've, I've you know, fortunately been able to deal with and uh, live through. So that's been pretty awesome. Um, and then we did the transition of ownership um, and a lot of the leadership role earlier on than most agencies do. You'll see a lot of agencies where the, the older generation will hold on to the reins for their life, you know, into their 60s and 70s. Um, and that wasn't the case with us. I mean, I was late twenties and, uh, you know, working on our key accounts, working, you know, handling HR, the HR issues with just some 
you know, almost like in the Italian world, the Casalieri, where he comes in and just gives you some advice and moves on like Marlon Brando did later on in The Godfather, um, mm. which was awesome for me. I mean, my, my, fa- my family now, my wife, my kids, our agency in general, um, it's been phenomenal. Uh, at one point, I did do everything I could to get out of the industry, um, and it just kept pulling me back in. Uh, and now I don't know why I even tried to get out of it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, insurance is basically Hotel California, right? You know, yeah. you can check out whenever you want, but you never actually leave. Yeah. Uh, fun fun story is I when I would try to get out, I went and got my master's, worked at EMJ Gala Winery, largest winery in the world based on gallons sold. Um, and I walked by the risk management department. It was just, if you imagine a, a football field and a half level of floor um, and just to see a cubicles. And I'm walking by like six weeks in and I hear a guy in risk management actually say something that's technically inaccurate from an insurance standpoint and mm. made the mistake of actually saying something. Um, I got pulled in not by my manager at the time, but by the director above him and basically said, you keep your mouth shut outside of our department or you may not end up being here. But then he did admit that I was right. The other guy was wrong, but it was somebody very senior said something that was inaccurate. And, uh, some of those fun stories you get in insurance when you start walking around the general public or outside of our own little little world. Oh man, don't you love that? He was wrong, but don't tell him that. Yeah, yeah, he's way above your pay grade, Matt. Okay. Wow. Now I usually treat everybody as if they're above my pay grade, and it's the safest thing to do. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Now I I can't tell you how many colleagues I have, principals, owners of agencies that on their business card on. Uh, on their email signature, it says "Vice President of Sales." It's like they don't—they don't like to be the guy. Like they don't want to be known as the one who you know makes the final decision. There, there's definitely some benefits to considering other people as you know higher than your pay grade. It's it's a it's a pro move right there, man. You know, it's um, I have an operations manager, uh, Stephanie, in our office, and I got to tell you. If, if there's a if there's a one side of a coin and another, you put the two of us together and it works really well. It's taken a while to get there because I have I have a bit of my father in me where I'll step on people's toes and just go after the bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, really, you're kind of saying you know some people don't want to be the guy, some people just want to be the guy um, or the gal. But really, it comes down to you know what do you do well, and then what does your team do well? And um, you know, I don't think we had any intent of going this direction, but I'm just to throw it out there. Seeing our team succeed, um, both professionally and then in their personal goals, has been something that I'm going to shoot. I'm getting the tingles right now and, and the goosebumps. Um, getting to see that, and especially this last year and a half or two years when we really focused on it, has been freaking phenomenal. It's been, um, you know, we have we have some team members have you know double, triple, quadruple their their wage since they started with us, plus their bonus structure, and then you know buying a first home, kids going to college, kids graduating high school. And then seeing in the parking lot that my car is nowhere near the nicest car in the parking lot is pretty awesome. <laughs> no, man, it, it sounds like you and I have had similar journeys in that regard. Not second generation or 1.5 generation for sure, uh, but you know, from a glance at uh, your your website there with your team and just taking a look at just some of the basic makeup of what GDI is all about, uh, it, it seems like. You're in that next chapter after us as far as the composition of your team uh, and, and dealing with, as you said, uh, interpersonal and, and HR considerations. Uh, but man, it sure feels good when you see your team win, uh, when you can see them smile big and, and revel in some kind of victory. Uh, that's one of the very best feelings of being a, a business owner and entrepreneur, isn't it? 
Oh yeah. It's um we have one of our team took a call in from a tech startup. It is now the single largest driving school in the country. And I can't remember how many hundreds and hundreds of vehicles they have on the road. And it's one of our account managers who just she doesn't like to lose and seeing her go after it and then combat, you know, go to go to basically it's almost like hand to hand fist fighting, you know, in the insurance world when you're keeping an account now and just not giving up. I mean, seeing some of the stuff that happens is awesome. Um, you know, I'd like to just be able to help support our team full time, but uh, I still do handle quite a large book of business myself. Um, but that also, I think, you know, I think if you're going to be relevant in the industry in general, regardless of what lo- where you might think you are, um, if you're not actually involved in the day-to-day operation, um, you really become detached very quickly. I mean, yep. one of the hardest things we've seen for some of our team Especially during the whole shutdown thing where people couldn't get childcare, so they wouldn't go working part time for us, or people have stepped away and stepped back in, is you know, the the uh, the industry is always moving pretty quickly and it's accelerating at such a fast pace now that um, you know, we're having to have every we're going we're gonna start every month, month and a half having a organization wide call and uh, you know, and updates for everybody on what's going on, what we're seeing, and now it's just it's almost every week we're having to do that, especially out on the West Coast. I think you have it down in the Gulf Coast states too, with, what, with what's been happening with weather. Uh, yep. The reality is what's happening. Individual departments of insurance going kind of rogue on us. Um, but yeah, it's and then your your insurance commissioner there in California is uh, is a challenge all by himself. Like he he brings the challenges with him, from what I can tell. You know, when when you tip your hat and the feather in your cap, or however you want to say it. For your insurance expertise is that you sat in on one discussion panel as a city councilman or a, or a county commissioner, I can't remember what it was, and then you're going to run the entire industry for for an economy that's one of the top, what, five or seven in the world? Yeah. Uh, you know, you think you'd want to ask some questions. You have an abject rookie running the insurance industry for 50 million Americans. Yep. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. Way to, way to go, uh, Sacramento. Good job there. Yes, thank you, guys. No. <laughs> no, we we do quite a bit of ENS uh, non-resident stuff in California, but man, some of the the personal lines and, and admitted market stuff that you guys have to deal with there, it just sounds like a real circus. I have to consider myself fortunate uh, to not be all the way involved. Oh yeah, yes, kudos to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, consummate politician, I love it. Uh, so you know when. Your dad and I have spoken several times over the years, and, and he's been kind enough to to give me his perspective on things. If memory serves, he's he was really big into uh, commercial property, like LRO and hospitality, habitational, lots of stuff on, on that side of the specialization. Are you guys still into that, or you diversified into different areas? Uh, we're still very heavy. It, really, what he did is he did a lot of uh, construction and then and then controlling the insurance and the property after the project completed. Um, nice. We're still very large in that. We've specialized a little bit more. So if we're looking at uh, residential construction, um, especially in tract work, we usually typically will try to focus on specifically the developer themselves and then do more of a of an OSIP or a wrap type product. Um, just because it, it's it's funny as it sounds, very complex. And I talked to some friends that have you know, starting to start to come across these opportunities. And really, once you go through the first one, they're very simple. Um, or I wouldn't say simple, they're, they're not that complex. They're not any more complex than a normal package you're going to put together for anyone working on the job. Um, but yes, we still do quite a bit. We have diversified out. So now we have a, we have quite a bit more, um, you know, industries that, we're, that we have pretty good strength in. 
Uh, the only thing is that we, you know, go back 10, 12 years ago, we were pretty diversified from being about a third personalized, a third commercial and a third individual and employee benefits. Now we're almost three quarters commercial, almost 20%, or right, roughly 18%, 20% personalized, and the remainder is just group benefits, not individual. So even though we've diversified the industries we service, we have actually lost some of the diversification amongst the product mix when you look at the traditional mix of an agency. Hmm. So I'm going to pivot abruptly here because I'm not really sure how else to do it uh, in the time that we have. Uh, you mentioned what you're talking about in Nashville. Uh, you want to share that with the listeners? What's the what's the subject going to be? So we're going to discuss, uh, or I'm going to be discussing, uh, acquiring agencies and books of business. They are different. That's a fair book. It's not the same thing. Yep. And really with a focus on the financials, knowing your, num- knowing your numbers and whether or not you're prepared. And then once you go into it, what are some of the common missteps that happen? Um, you know, there's one of the good examples is there's great lenders out there and there's, there's good lenders. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's any bad ones, but knowing, knowing what they're incentivized on, knowing what they're looking at in a deal really kind of, if you don't fully understand that, it's a pretty big learning curve. Uh, the first time or two you go through the process, um, just because, you know, they'll, they'll allow you to tighten margins that you shouldn't have tightened and they'll require a looser, looser things in other areas that, you know, may or may not be a good thing. Uh, so like right now, I mean, if you talk to lenders, if you've ever gone through a deal and now you're on your second or third, um, once you've established that, that relationship, it's really scary what they're offering money for right now. It's almost like how they're offering mortgages in 2007. So, um, you know, you just, you want to make sure, Hey, you know, just because I can finance something, do I need to enter a traditional bank debt financing? So, I mean, I'm going to the weeds, but we're going to talk about that. And then, um, I was hoping to have like Q and a, cause I thought we were going to do a breakout session, but I'm not sure exactly how the format's going to be anymore. Um, my presentation is still going to be the same. So <laughs> that's always easy. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a topic that seems to always come up. Um, and then I'll probably share whether or not I'm still super hot or super cold on, on acquisition as a primary growth, growth mode or not. Mm. Well, you want to do a little bit of rapid fire Q and a right here, just the two of us and on the audience of thousands. Sure. Just hopefully I don't stutter and stammer too much. Oh, <laughs> you're in good company. If that's the case, I, I, uh, I do a little bit too much of that myself. Um, you, you mentioned the difference between, uh, acquiring an agency and acquiring a book. Uh, what's the short version of that answer? Now, how are, how are those two different structurally? One is I, I, a book I almost always consider an orphan book. You got a book of clientele, you have no way of servicing it. You need to absorb that or set up the whole plant. Whereas a true agency is going to be the full operation where if you buy it, if you buy it from the owner or owners, you yourself as the, as the buyer owning the agency shouldn't have to step in for day-to-day operation fully in. Uh, one good example of differences, we thought we were buying an operation in the Sacramento area. Gosh, it's been almost five years ago, four or five years ago now. I ended up spending over 40 nights in Sacramento in like an eight month window. Um, and I only live, you know, a hundred miles away from that office, but we stepped in and had three, it had two and a half full-time producers. It had three and a half service staff to date. We now have we have the one half producer time and none of the service staff we absorbed it all because none of it was really running. There was mm-hmm. one key employee in the deal that ran the whole thing. And then 
that individual gave notice like three weeks before he closed and being, you know, I was figuring, oh, well, the bank has no problem with it. I'm going to go with it. Earned every bit of that. We earned every bit of the benefit of that acquisition off the sweat. Um, so, mm. you know, knowing the difference between a book and, and a true operation is a very big, um, I won't say it's the biggest deal, but it's just, you know, either way can be profitable and be very beneficial to do. It's just, you need to know what you're, you know, how big of a bite you're biting off at a time. Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. One of the things that I, I think is probably going to be relevant for a, a very long time is the amount of interest and activity from hedge funds and private equity and PE-backed national brokers that are just gobbling up quality, small and medium-sized local agencies. How in the world do folks like you and me compete with the kind of multiples that you're seeing uh, from the, the big boys, so to speak? How do we even get our slice of the pie uh, when these crazy numbers are getting thrown around? So I don't know how to say it without sounding kind of like a jerk to some of the potential sellers, but um, the sellers that are really doing that are really going to make out well in those private equity offers are those that have a very tightly run ship. And it's going to be hard for anybody using traditional bank debt financing to compete on that multiple. You're going to see the number. I mean, one a good example is uh, it was mid 2020. I was down in Fresno meeting with, with a couple of sellers, and our offer came in. It was the highest multiple I've ever offered, and we got beat by an entire one and a quarter times on gross revenue. And that was the gross next revenue on growth on a multiple. Of gross Not even an EBITDA multiple. Correct. Wow. And it was private equity backed, and we're talking about a book of business um, that's you know I, I think that agency was roughly nine hundred thousand in commissions. I mean, it was a good, mm. it was a good size eight, and it was actually, I would argue, is about, is about as close to an operation of that size as you're going to get. I mean, both of the both of the owners were involved, but they weren't 100 percent involved day to day, which was which was a positive for us. But um, yeah, one of the big ones coming through coming through the West Coast right now just swooped them up in a heartbeat. Where mm. where you really need to do is you really need to network out if you're going to try to find the acquisitions. I have a friend up in Oregon. He has the same kind of banking structure that I do, and he rarely uses it. And I think he's—I think he's got another acquisition now in—I uh, don't know if it's in Nevada or Arizona or New Mexico. I don't know what's coming up, but um, but he does—he gets the seller to finance, um, and there are benefits to doing so. But you have to get creative on the structure. So it's not going to be, hey, what's what's my total deal value? Because if you look at that with private equity, it's almost always—it's kind of like seeing what the total potential contract value is on an NFL contract, right? For a player, there's there's guaranteed money, and then yeah. there's incentive money, and they yeah. will focus on that sale to the or the private equity company will focus on the total potential value, and not the actual realistic or guaranteed value. Whereas we can 
focus on, hey, after tax dollars, here's what I can guarantee you're getting, or here's the percentage on our, you know, here's how much upfront you're going to get. Here's how much you're going to get over X number of years. And uh, you can get a little more creative. And then also you're able to, um, you're able to, to honor a lot of the seller's longtime hopes for the agency. We've been seeing in our area a lot of food product and a, and a retail acquisition, not in insurance, but we're seeing it's the same story now, just different industries. So one of the largest poultry producers in the country is, uh, or at least on the western half of the country, is you know 20 minutes south of us. They sold, and one of the big things was the family didn't want to mess with the deferred compensation or the or the um, the promise to pay for retired. Long-time employees retire, you know, they're retired, but they're going to pay their health benefits until they hit Medicare age. Within 90 days of the sale, they basically cashed everyone out on the deferred comps. Everyone got a huge tax bill, couldn't plan for their retirement, so they hit their retirement. And then wow. the 90 days also cut the, the uh, health benefits payments for those people pre-retired, you know, before they hit Medicare age. And so wow. you see a lot of that where, where it's not necessarily, if it's not in writing in that contract, um, it's it's tough. So you know, if you find the sellers that are that really, I mean, that really value most of what the IOA group's about, you know, um, where it's you know we treat each other like you know not just like uh, acquaintances. It's more of hey, we care about each other. We're in this together. I would say yeah. brotherhood, but you know, it's, it's a family atmosphere. And yeah. that's that's where I think you're going to find your better acquisitions, and you'll probably have better better chance of succeeding post sale date with those types of sellers. That's really solid advice, man. You know, when when I have these conversations with with friends and peers in the industry, one consistent thing that everybody finds it once you're in that mode of hey, you know what? I've got I've either got liquid capital or access to capital, and I, I'm on the hunt for good acquisition. Uh, that can be the hardest part: is where do we find a good acquisition? Uh, I'm not asking you to give away the really good super secret sauce. But what sort of, maybe in a, a general sense, what kind of suggestions would you have for somebody, uh, maybe non-traditional ways of finding that quality potential buyer other than just leveraging your natural market and your own network in the industry and you know, having some sort of uh, years in advance sort of relationship building tactic? Uh, you know, what, so what, else, what else suggestions uh, would, you, would you make for our friends that are listening? You know, I would probably there's a few things that we've been doing, and then I have some. I have some other friends in the industry too. You know, we all probably know each other anyway. Um, that have different ways of going about it. I mean, you do have to. You do have to be where where they are. I mean, think about it. When you're buying an agent, when you're trying to buy another agency or a book of business, they are the customer, just like your potential insurance prospect, prospective customer is. You got to somehow meet them where they are. Um, what we found too is think about centers of influence. There's uh, consultants that buy and sell agencies, right? Um, I've made a, I've made a relationship with a couple, relationships with a couple of them to where they know, you know, I just keep, we keep in touch every few months, I don't know, three to six months. Hey, you're, you're still, Hey Matt, you're still looking at something in this area? Yes or no. And we'll talk about the sizes we're looking at, you know, and I'll keep my, uh, my, my credit approval, you know, updated with them and everything. Um, and that's one, the sort of the, actually the acquisition in Fresno I mentioned, um, you know, I was one and they brought us in. I was the smallest, but I was one of only six potential buyers. And of the six, um, we were told there was going to be no back and forth. It was going to be a one and done bid. And that's why I got so outbid on that deal. But the, the, uh, consultant I had just started establishing a relationship with and he actually, he actually sought me out through an aggregator we're part of, asked, Hey, you know, there's this, there's this, there's this guy 
you know, but what if I talked about you with the red beard, kind of like you got, you know, down in you know, central California, um, can't remember his name. He then got in touch with me and that's how we got involved. Um, so really it just comes down to, it's going to take a little bit to start the engine. Um, but then once people understand that you can get it, it's hard, the hard, the first deal is always the hardest part to prove that you can do it. Um, and I always talk to, I talk this out with everybody. It's, it's, it's hard to get there. And I feel bad that I'm just going to keep, I need to stop myself because I'm going to ramble on and not give a finite answer. But it's kind of like my father was known in the industry for certain things. I'm hopefully getting known for certain things myself, or at least I hope to be someday. Um, you have to become known as a viable buyer. When you say viable buyer, what does that mean to you? You want to, un, you know, unravel that ball of yarn for a little bit? Uh, you're going to be, you're going to be a buyer that when someone sells to you, they're not going to have a complaint about because heaven forbid somebody sells to you and that it gets out that you treated them wrong. Or whatever. I mean, it kind of goes without saying, don't be dishonest. You got to always be up, up, uh, upright and, and honest with like, it. Like Google said, right? Don't be evil. Yeah. Don't be evil. Yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, always, if you become known for being fair and making sure that both parties always win the deal, um, that's one of the best things you can do. One of our acquisitions, the one that I mentioned that ended up being more of a book than an agency, we had one of the producers that, and you know, it was it was a big learning curve on due diligence for me in that in that process, especially on that one. Um, you know, come to find out that there was an orphan producer contract. So I was told, and I have been writing to this day, all the producer contracts have been bought out by the seller, blah, 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 all the way down the line. Well, then I find out that it hadn't happened. One of the producers was owed a payment that was the equivalent of about 20 to 25% of his annual income as, as the final buyout of his agreement that didn't happen. Um, you know, we found out, well, how we, he and I were talking, you know, about, about some client issues that he was having and about some strategy stuff that he wanted to know if, if we were going to be able to help him with. And then he brought it up and he was almost embarrassed about it. But since then, I mean, we looked at it. I said, yeah, send me the contract. I went back to the seller a couple of years after the sale closed. They did, they confirmed that they did not buy out that contract. Um, we didn't have to, but we did. We paid it out. I just told him, Hey, give me, can I pay it over six months? And he said, yes, we did it. Boom, boom, boom. We've done it. And, um, he has since referred us producers to talk to and a, and a couple other, you know, accounts, things like that. But just by doing what is right in the situation, not what you think is right enough for somebody, but by just what is right. Um, yep. you're going to, you're going to build that goodwill and, and you're going to, it's going to come. Well, and you know, the, the golden rule from the Bible of treat other people the way that you would want to be treated uh, in that situation, it just, like always, it applies almost universally. If you just follow that one simple rule, you're probably on the right path, right? Absolutely. No, man, I, any last words of, of wisdom in, in that regard of uh, buying and selling? Anything you want to leave us with? Due diligence is a key thing. Look at, um, if you want to get down in the weeds, look at samples of everything. Look at a random sampling of client files. You know, you can sign an NDA. And honestly, you know, somebody gives me a list of X dates for somebody or, or I saw a client file. If they're doing their job, even if I was going to be a dirtball and try to do something, you know, incorrect, I wouldn't be able to get their book of business anyway. But if somebody's a, if a seller is afraid or hesitant to show you files, show you financial records. These are red flags. So don't fall in love with the deal until you've seen everything and it's already closed. That is very good advice. 
You know, it's it's like an insured, right? When they say, oh, I don't have any losses. You're like, okay, cool. Can I see the loss runs? No, I can't share loss runs. It was like, okay, well, how bad is the loss yeah. that you're trying to hide from me? Yeah. Oh, um, oh, that one. Oh, I forgot about that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure you did. Yeah, mm-hmm. no wonder you didn't want me to see the loss runs with that, you know. 14 claims on your auto policy and you know seven uninsured drivers you never told the carrier about yeah (laughs) so i I imagine you have similar stories on on due diligence as well right yeah and i mean you just hit it on the head it's the exact same situation just a slightly different venue right instead of an individual account it's across an entire book man i i love that uh you know sharing of of what you're going to deliver in uh in nashville i feel like for those uh, who are listening, who won't be in Nashville or who get to hear this episode after Nashville has already happened, there's real value there, man. I, I appreciate you not uh, glossing over stuff and, and speaking in really vague language that isn't that useful. So I mean, thanks for that, uh, for sure. Um, I'm going to end this thing by uh, just asking what what's next? What are you working on right now? What are you proud of that's going to happen in the next few months uh, for GDI and your team? Not necessarily the next few, well, it'll be over the next few months, next few years, but we've been focusing on uh, almost rebuilding the entire agency from scratch. I'm, uh, you know, um, operations manager Stephanie and I have worked together for a little over a decade now, uh, side by side. And uh, what we've gone to is it, we did we did a whole exercise on core values and everyone, you heard everyone talk about it. And I always talked about it too, but never followed through. We never really made it mission critical for us. We've done that now. And I have to say that our ability to hire um, has become much better. It's in the last six, 60, 90 days, nine day difference, but it's taken us about a year and a half to get there. And mm. it stemmed from me. I talked to a buddy of mine and I was asking him because he was hiring producers. He was having a great level of success. You know, it wasn't, you know, one out of five, one out of 10 succeeding. It was much better than that. And he, you know, he, he was honest with me and it was hard for me to accept for a couple of months, actually. It was, you need to become the place where they want to be. You need to become the you need to become the you know the agency they want to be. You and your team need to be need to be the personnel they want to become. Um, and you know we have everyone's tell you great people. I'm going to tell you right now, I'll, hands down, I'll put my team up against anybody, uh, any member of my team. You know, licensed or if you have somebody that's doing admin work, it's not uh, not licensed. I don't care. We'll, you know, hands down, I'll take that hundred percent. Um, but we've been focusing on that. And recently, we've been, the last couple of uh, applicants we've had, one of our new hires too, without us doing the work for our, on ourselves, we wouldn't have the opportunity for these people to join us because they wouldn't have considered us otherwise. Mm. And so it's, um, you know, insurance is a great industry if you're in it. We all love this thing. Uh, we talk about it all the time. People are like, it's so boring. You know, outside the industry, it's so boring. Insurance is not a fun and sexy, you know, industry. Well, it's because we, we do a pretty poor job as an industry sharing it outside of ourselves. And now that we've shown the successes, we, you know, you see what, you know, I could pick any number of people on my team. You see the success they have on a day in and day out basis with clients in their personal life, with their kids, with their spouses. And you see how they're growing as, 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 as humans and, and just you know, awesome people. And, uh, that's what we've been working on. And this next year, I'm, I'm kind, I'm almost intimidated where, where we might end up. Um, I know what our goals are, and uh, you know we're already starting to kind of get around what we want to do next year. But it's gonna—that's what's really kind of you know making it exciting right now. That's what we're working on. I love that, man. Is there uh, anything else you want to share before we land the plane, man? 
Uh, you know, if somebody has a question or anything, they can always reach out to us or reach out to myself. Um, you know, we can always chat. You know, these kind of conversations like we're having now, having conversations about potential acquisitions, uh, things like that, that, that stirs my creative juice. You know, I went to college, got, got my MBA. Really, the only thing I liked was like business consulting work. And I was more on the small business side. Yeah. You don't get paid much at all in that industry. However, insurance, we do a lot of the same stuff, but we get paid really well for it. So yeah. you know, if anyone has questions, I'm more than happy to bounce a couple ideas here. Dude, I, I love this conversation. It is obvious that the, the apple did not fall far from the tree. So uh, I really appreciate you making time for us today. Uh, he is Matt Davis, the principal of GDI Insurance Agency. Their main office is in Turlock, California. And this is another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go.